hikers trapped by a fast-moving wildfire. This is a huge forest fire and it's 100% between us and the car. Their call for help and the dramatic rescue. Shocking video showing the explosive fire risk even in urban settings. The surprising spark that ignited this one. And a truck driver turns hero. Luckily, for somehow, uh, the guy had the driver's side window open. How he saved a driver in distress with a child in the car. All of it caught on camera. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. We start tonight with a dramatic example of just how quickly a wildfire can get out of control. A group of hikers trapped on a mountaintop in southeastern BC. Flames cutting them off from their only escape route. Aaron MacArthur has more on their ordeal and the lucky break that led to their rescue. By the time the helicopter landed, the fire was raging. Three hikers near Invermere rescued from the Horse Thief Creek wildfire Monday afternoon. The trio had hiked to the top of Mount Bruce. With no sign of smoke in the sky, it seemed like the six-kilometer return trek would be easily doable for the experienced hikers. As soon as they reached the summit, they noticed a small amount of smoke in the air. By the time Sage Randall called 911, the fire had exploded and was between them and the trailhead where they parked their car. So in my head, I'm thinking, okay, well, search and rescue isn't going to get here in time before it reaches us on the peak. We're trapped up here, so I think I just have to report it, and then we have to run away from the fire and let them know where we're going. Before search and rescue could even be notified, a helicopter contracted by BC Wildfire spotted the car at the base of the trail. The local pilot from Glacier Helicopters knew that meant there were hikers on Mount Bruce and checked the summit. The hikers flagged the chopper down, and with the fire raging around them, the three jumped on board for the ride home. And they just got out of the helicopter and ran toward us, and they just said, have you been in a helicopter before? And we were like, I don't think so. And then they were like, okay, take off your backpacks, hold them below your waist, hand me your poles and your bear spray, and follow me. According to BC Adventure Smart, Having a proper plan, including an exit strategy with proper gear, is always a must for any day in the backcountry. Over the last few years, it's become increasingly clear that planning for the potential of a fire is now something to add to the list. We can't go out there thinking it won't happen to us without any preparation. BC Wildfire says it's a good idea to check the status of fires before venturing out. Like people keep asking me, will you hike again? Of course I'll hike again. Hiking is like something I do every weekend, but I don't know how to be prepared for a fire. Thanks to a lucky break, Sage and her friends made it to safety quickly. Fire, not something they plan to take for granted again. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. An amazing tale of survival is emerging from the St. Mary's wildfire near Cranbrook. When that fire broke out the afternoon of July 17th, RCMP officers sped to the Akam community to help with evacuations. And as they did, the fire cut off the only escape, meaning two municipal employees and a resident had to be airlifted out. The RCMP officers later made their own way out as fire destroyed several homes. Left behind was a beloved member of the Akam community, a dog named Three Leg. Well, three days later, members of the Indigenous Policing Service went back to look for the dog and they found her hiding under the stairs of her home. And we can now report that Three Leg is back with the people who love her and in good health.
Well, the province is making an urgent appeal for British Columbians to conserve water. The recent bout of rain did help firefighting crews, but has done little to alleviate the dry conditions overall. With severe drought affecting much of the province, officials are asking residents to abide by water restrictions and follow regional fire prohibitions. The BC Wildfire Service says this is the worst fire season the province has ever seen when it comes to how much land has been burned. We are leaving resources in the north while we prioritize many of our uh, British Columbia Wildfire Service resources to our new starts and our evolving incidents in the southern half of the province. Communities are being impacted, resource values are being impacted, critical infrastructure is being threatened and impacted. And so this season is at par with 17, 18 and 21. And we really won't be able to do a full comparative analysis until after the season. But obviously the hectares burned at this point is the most significant fire season. There are currently 408 wildfires burning across BC with more than half classified as out of control. Some dramatic footage released today shows the extreme fire risk on the North Shore right now, even in neighborhoods. The video shows a hedge in the backyard of a home catch fire and quickly burst into a wall of flames. As Catherine Urquhart reports, it was sparked by a cigarette discarded hours earlier. So this video is from North Vancouver, an area in our urban interface. It's a jaw-dropping video released by North Vancouver District Fire and Rescue. It shows a worker putting out his cigarette in a bush, or so he thought. Seven hours later, this was the scene. You can see that the fire has begun in an incipient stage and rapidly, in about three and a half minutes, uh, becomes fully involved in the hedges. After calling 911, the homeowners doused the flames with garden hoses until help arrived. Shows you how volatile the conditions are in right now and how, how long it can sit there and smolder until something actually happens. Um, so it's very, very important we're um, ruthless and not letting this happen. In late June, firefighters tackled this fire near Horseshoe Bay, which temporarily closed northbound traffic on Highway 99. And this is the aftermath of that fire, a scorched hillside behind me. Fire investigators believe it was all started by a tossed cigarette. Discarded cigarettes are a major concern as everything is so dry. North Vancouver District Fire says they're sparking fires on a regular basis. Small little fires on uh, brush fires, bark mulch fires in the middle of the mediums where people are throwing cigarettes out their window, um, definitely weekly. Smokers are being urged to extinguish cigarettes in a can of sand or water and to never, ever carelessly toss them away. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. More than a week after an Amber Alert was issued for Surrey siblings Joshua and Aurora Bolton, RCMP say another vehicle may be connected to the case. Officers say the children's mother, Verity Bolton, and her boyfriend, Abraxas Glazov, may have access to a green 1996 Mitsubishi Delica. 
That vehicle is registered to Verity, but it's uninsured and it's not known whether it has license plates on it right now. There are also new details about the two trailers that may be in Verity's possession. The horse trailer seen in Kamloops July 15th has a BC license plate of 05994K. And the large fifth wheel seen in Chilliwack June 30th has a BC license plate WPM71B. Police are asking anyone who has the children in their direct view to call 911. A Metro Vancouver truck driver delivered some potentially life-saving aid after spotting a driver in distress last week. As Global's Paul Johnson reports, dash cam video shows how the man jumped into action to stop a moving vehicle when its driver experienced a medical emergency. Climbing into his truck in Coquitlam, with just a month on the job, Jaspreet Singh's still a rookie, but one with the story of a seasoned veteran under his belt. In the moment, I wasn't really thinking about it. It kind of went on autopilot. The 26-year-old delivers sanitary supplies and equipment throughout the Lower Mainland. July 19th, he was in traffic on Anasis Island when he noticed something strange with a car in front of him. Watch it here as it slows to a stop in heavy traffic. Wouldn't you be tempted to just drive around? Instead, Singh was paying attention. I looked through the rearview window and then the guy is looking back at me. When the car starts rolling toward a busy intersection, Jazz leaps out, gets the window down and helps steer the car to safety. Realizing only then it wasn't just the driver in danger. It was a... Uh, quite terrifying moment because then because the, he also had a four-year-old little girl in the back seat and then she was also crying on top of her lungs because of course it was scary. Turns out that a driver had a medical event while driving over the Alex Fraser Bridge. Delta police say the child was picked up by family while the driver was taken to hospital for treatment. They applaud Singh's quick thinking. We like it when the public helps each other out, obviously, and in this case, there were no uh, injuries and everybody was safe at the end, which is nice. Jazz, it turns out, is a bit too humble to wear the hero badge. But you can only hope that if you get into trouble on the road, that it's Jazz or someone like him on your tail. I think anyone in my position would have done the same thing. I would hope so. So, uh, you know, it just happened to be me by chance. I was there at the right time, right place. In Coquitlam, Paul Johnson, Global News. Well, the recent troubles and endless delays on some BC ferries routes have focused new attention on a controversial and little known program for commercial traffic. Critics say the drop trailer program for commercial vehicles is making delays and sailing weights much worse. Kristen Robinson explains why. Another day, more delays. Before noon Thursday, BC Ferries was already tweeting about an eight to nine sailing wait for vehicles traveling from Victoria to Vancouver without reservations. Real or just another website glitch? That's still unclear. BC Ferries is an extension of our highway system, and right now it's not dependable. BC's shadow minister for transportation calling for an immediate fix. We had a, a senior couple, 80 years old, that were sleeping in their car. Um, because they couldn't get home, so they slept in the car overnight to get back. That shows you that the system is absolutely broken. An Nanaimo-based commercial transport company believes these drop trailers are exacerbating wait times. 
The service allows some commercial customers to drop off their trailers at terminals where BC Ferries employees ensure they get to their destinations. Penta Transport says the driverless trailers are taking up deck space and questions why the freight can't be transported by barge. This service was to um, fill the space that's not being utilized to keep rates lower. And now we're told that it's all reservable space, so they can go into their system, reserve that space for drop trailers, and that, therefore the general public and the rest of us are getting left behind because we don't have those same opportunities to manipulate the reservation system. BC Ferries says the service moves essential goods like groceries and claims the space allocated for drop trailers is separate from the reservable space set aside for the public. If there's live bodies getting left behind, those drop trailers should not be on the ferries. We should be moving the general public. With BC Ferries now warning about more potential sailing weights due to an anticipated spike in foot and vehicle traffic on all sailings to Salt Spring this weekend, Trevor Halford says the solution involves leadership. Somebody needs to step up and take accountability for the disaster that we're seeing at BC Ferries day in and day out. We contacted Joy McPhail, the chair of BC Ferries Board of Directors, for her insight. After we identified ourselves as Global BC, our call was disconnected. Within the hour, BC Ferries communications team emailed saying McPhail was not available to speak with us. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke chaired a board meeting last night for a police agency she wanted to dissolve. It was the police board's first official meeting since the province ordered Surrey to implement the Surrey Police Service and move on from the RCMP. Keith Baldry joins us with more on how things went. Could have been awkward. Keith, <laughs> safe to say it was at least tense. Yeah, I think tense and awkward are two appropriate words here, Chris. Again, this is the first meeting of the board since the decision was made to go Surrey Police Services way. Brenda Locke sort of gave a mis mixed message uh, in some of her presentations. On the one hand, pledging to build the best possible police force possible, but also saying the way forward with Surrey Police was financially unsustainable. Then when Chief Norm Lipinski talked about an uptick in hiring as a result of the announcement, she almost chided him and said, you're getting ahead of yourself here. RCMP is still the jurisdiction police police of record here in Surrey. And then there was this awkward, tense moment when a member of the police board congratulated Chief Lipinski on his dedication and a job well done. And Brenda Locke had an interesting reaction. We're extremely proud of you, Chief, and everyone on the board and SPS for maintaining their professionalism through all of this uncertainty. They don't speak on behalf of the board. Director Cloak, I'm sorry. Um, you... Uh, I, I hope you understand you made that decision, that comment on behalf of yourself, and apparently um, Director Broussard supported it. So with that, uh, we will leave it at that. Yes, we'll leave it at that. So this is a little tense, a little awkward. She did say, though, she intends to meet with the new special advisor, Jessica McDonald, who's going to sort of act as a go-between between all the various sides here, and we expect that meeting to take place within a week, and then I think things will start to settle down out in Surrey. Keith, we'll leave it at that. Thanks very much. <laughs> well, time might be up for one of Vancouver's busiest bike lanes. I think it's a huge mistake. Cycling advocates speak up after learning the city might return Beach Avenue to two-way traffic, removing the dedicated bike lane. Why council is even considering it next on the news hour. No filter needed. Coming up, the incredible images of BC photographer Jim Brompton and the perfect photo he's still looking for.
Plus. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. That was, that was awesome. so Synchronized whales, where this once-in-a-lifetime video was recorded. Still to come. Right now, though, some breaking news for you and what appears to be an emergency situation at a Surrey Recreation Center. The Guilford Rec Center on 105th Avenue is being shut down and the building evacuated. The city's website only says it was closed due to unforeseen circumstances until further notice and that all programs for at least today have been cancelled. These images from Global One showing people outside and firefighters and paramedics on the scene, including some who appear to be wearing hazmat suits. We will keep track of the situation and bring you more details as they become available. Now to the Beach Avenue bike lane. It was implemented during the pandemic, but has since become Vancouver's busiest bike route. Now its future is uncertain, with drivers backed up in the remaining lane. Our Krista Dow joins us from Beach Avenue with more. Krista, what started this latest debate? Well, Sophie, this all stems from a question posed by Vancouver City Councillor Sarah Kirby-Young during yesterday's council meeting asking whether uh, this configuration for Beach Avenue was the best configuration possible and if there was some way to help alleviate some of the pressures from Stanley Park and from vehicles exiting Stanley Park. It is one of the most popular places to ride in all of Canada. But cyclists may soon be seeing roadblocks along the scenic route. I'm deeply fearful that we're going to get changes to Beach Avenue Bikeway that um, discourage people from using it so much. Beach Avenue between Stanley Park Drive and Denman Street is currently one-way traffic flow with separated bike lanes. At Tuesday's council meeting, Sarah Kirby Young raising the issue about whether that was the best configuration, citing heavy vehicle congestion. What I'm hearing is that people are loving the opportunity for additional bikes, but we also have a huge backup and people are saying, well, this is working against climate because you have all these cars that are backing up trying to go one way out of the park. Well, this idea that bike lanes are bad for the climate because they slow down cars is frankly garbage. It is misinformation spread by climate deniers who are trying to keep us stuck in the past. Climate and cycling advocates concerned, saying more green infrastructure is needed, not less. So to hear ABC councillors casually talking about eliminating it or cutting it back and devoting more space to cars is frankly shocking and extremely disappointing. I think it's a huge mistake to put the convenience of drivers exiting Stanley Park at peak times ahead of year-round cycling safety and encouraging active transport in our city. People we spoke to were mixed about whether to reverse course or not. This configuration brought in during the pandemic. It is a bit of a bottleneck down here. The old way was fine. Cars shouldn't always be the priority. Like it's good to have bikes, bikes around too. I'm against it. Why that? Now it's going to be too much smoke here, from the cars and noise. Now it's more quiet. Kirby Young defending her position, saying they're looking for ways to ease vehicle and cycling traffic. The question was, is this the best configuration moving forward to support both bikes and to have a better exit from the park? ABC is out of step if they think they can cut back active transportation infrastructure without people noticing. Well, we saw a lot of bikes using that path uh, in your story there, Krista. What is ridership like in that area? 
A Sophie City of Vancouver data showing that their ridership levels have actually increased year over the year over year rather and trend has gone up with about 5,800 riders cruising through Beach Avenue daily on the weekends. Now regarding a timing for the change, City of Vancouver telling me uh, that's still a couple of weeks away so there's no decision just yet. Back to you. All right, we'll see what happens. Thanks for that. Krista Dow on the West End. Business owners who have been victims of vandalism are pleased to see the province finally stepping in to help. Jaden Wozni has more on the grants available to help them clean up the mess. So they, they break out just the bottom window here and then crashed all of the equipment through the, the bottom of the window. Co-owner of Queen of Floors, Henry Beaudry, recalls watching the surveillance footage after thieves smashed into his store back in March. The damage done put the business out thousands of dollars. We had about $60,000 of damage and theft and vehicles wrecked, uh, and it's ongoing. Um, our neighbor next to us here has been broke into 23 times in 11 months. It's out of control. On Wednesday, the province announced small businesses will now be able to apply for as much as $2,000 to repair vandalism and up to $1,000 for vandalism prevention initiatives. The funding will be retroactively available as a rebate as far back as January 1st of this year. It's greatly appreciated. I mean, any amount helps. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, we, and I mean we by business owners, can apply it to better security systems, I guess. Yeah, we'll put it to work right away. Downtown Kelowna Association Executive Director Mark Burley says the new grant program has been in the works for some time, and he's pleased to see it finally rolled out. It's been a long time coming, but we're all thankful that it's here. Our advocacy committee has been working with the provincial government to get this fund set up for quite a few months now, even to the point that the premier was at our conference back in May, and he was our opening keynote speaker, which was fabulous. Burley adds that while the province has taken some big steps in dealing with repeat offenders, he feels more needs to be done to protect business owners. We need to get the people who are out here breaking windows, breaking in, stealing things to stop happening to be off the street. It'll never 100% be gone, but it sure would be nice if it was even at 50% of what it is right now. The province has put aside $10.5 million for the program set to start this fall. Jaden Wozni, Global News, Kelowna. The federal government is investing nearly $21 million to support seven organizations in Burnaby. Almost $2 million will go toward BCIT to help develop a 3D printing technology hub that can develop prototypes for businesses. Money will also go to increase mask and respirator production and develop a recycling facility for personal protective equipment. Another $5 million is earmarked for expanding production of medical isotopes, which are used in cancer, cardiac and lung disease diagnosis. Coming up, sunken boats choking an important waterway. They're all full of fluid that are eventually going to be escaping into the ecosystem. What happened when a group of concerned citizens asked the government for help to clean it up? Plus, get out of here! Get on! Protecting the flock, a warning to Sunshine Coast farmers, Saanich farmers, about a bear that's hunting livestock. 
spill recovery crews were out again in Nanaimo Harbor after a fuel leak from a cargo ship spilled into the water yesterday. Booms are in place around the ship to contain a sheen on the water. Western Canada Marine Response Corporation says it was alerted to the spill Wednesday morning by another cargo ship. They deployed six ships to the cleanup operation. It's still not known just how much fuel spilled into the environment. Environmental groups say they're very disappointed after the province rejected their funding request to clean up derelict vessels in Pitt Meadows. As Global's Troy Charles shows us, the sunken boats and other refuse continue to foul the water of the otherwise pristine Alouette River. Tucked in the beautiful Fraser Valley, the Alouette River, a recreational hub for many, but there's a problem. Sunken ships and collapsed structures line the river which has some local groups calling on the government to fund the cleanup. Unfortunately, the last kilometer of its existence before it drains into the Pitt River, it has to run this environmental gauntlet. Mark Karros and Greta Bort Cunningham are with the Alouette River Management Society, and the roughly 8 to 10 sunken ships and other submerged debris has the pair speaking out. My greatest concern is that for every boat you see, there's going to be an engine, there's going to be fuel compartment, there's going to be transmissions that are all full of fluid that are eventually going to be escaping into the ecosystem. Along with the City of Pitt Meadows, the Alouette River Management Society has teamed up with the Dead Boats Disposal Society to work towards a much-anticipated cleanup. However, an application for a provincial grant that would have seen roughly $500,000 put towards the dead boats in the Alouette was denied. We have a total of 35 boats that were supposed to come out on this coast this year, and we didn't receive any grant monies from the provincial government, and they really haven't given us a reason yet why. In a statement, the province says that given the limit on available funding and need to complete the project deliverables in 2023, not all the applicants were successful. The group has been advised by the province to apply again in 2024. We're kind of in limbo, and if it's just a matter of being patient, we can do that. But unfortunately, the, the, the situation is increasingly worse. Back in March, this boathouse was still standing, but has since collapsed, soon to be another casualty of the river. A river which is integral to many salmon runs and other wildlife habitats. While the eyesore is evident, the environmental concerns are fueling the call for action. There's just so much wildlife here, so, you know, we just don't want any of them to, to be struggling to exist in, in the habitat, which is their home, right? They have nowhere else to go. Troy Charles, Global News. A sheep is injured after a rare black bear attack in Saanich. Police say it happened at a property on Prospect Lake Road near Burnside Road West Wednesday afternoon. A person who was walking by managed to scare the bear into the nearby forest. Officers are warning those who have livestock in the area to be careful. The BC Conservation Officer Service has been notified. Up next, summer camp for kids and parents. They're accepted for who they are. The technology that helps this special place offer adventure and belonging to everyone. Also tonight, Humpback Ballet, where these whales seem to be dancing in unison. United Nations Secretary General says this month is set to be the hottest ever recorded in the history of the UN. Climate change is here, it is terrifying, and it is just the beginning. The era of global warming has ended, the era, the era of global boiling has arrived.
Antonio Gutierrez says July has already seen the hottest three-week period ever recorded, as well as the three hottest days on record and the highest ever ocean temperatures for this time of year. Secretary General noting the consequences of climate change can already be seen this summer. Mass flooding, fires, air quality issues, and intense heat. And Guterres warns there isn't more, there's no more time to wait on reversing the effects of climate change. But he says it is still possible to limit the rise in global temperatures, but only with drastic and immediate action. It's a big ask for sure. Okay, let's talk about the sun we're going to see over the next little while here with Yvonne in for Christy tonight. Yvonne. Thank you so much, Chris and Sophie. Uh, we are seeing the heat on the rise, especially in our long-range forecast. But through the day today, it's been pleasant. We've had some sunshine in the mix and a few spots closer to the water, even a touch cooler. We're currently sitting at 22. We've got a southwesterly wind at 11 kilometers per hour. A few other highs that we've been tracking through the day today with Lytton getting up to 32 degrees. Central interior up to 21 in Victoria today, topping out closer to 18 degrees. Now, the plan overnight and in towards tomorrow morning, we've got clear skies. But as we get in towards the afternoon, we could see some cloud cover rolling in across the region, still remaining dry. And with the humid X areas away from the water are warming up and feeling like 30 degrees. We do have some instability at this hour and this evening. We'll still be tracking the potential of severe thunderstorm watch that is in effect. That's for areas into the Fraser Canyon. Lillooet is included within that. We're still seeing some lightning strikes extending across the southeastern corners of the province. That'll dissipate, but we are going to pick up some instability once again for tomorrow. Now, I wanted to show you their long-range forecast. We're planning ahead into early next week. Away from the water, we'll be into the upper 20s, pushing closer to 30 degrees, and be prepared for that surge in heat from many areas and towards the interior, getting up to 35. Northern and central half of the province, with that risk of thunderstorms, right across the board. We'll see it for the southern half. It's warming up with a few areas up to 30 degrees. Across the island, it'll be a touch cooler if you're by the water. And across the lower mainland, inland with the Humidex, will be up to 30 degrees. Degrees. Both days out of the weekend underneath a mix of sun and cloud and into early next week we'll see that surge in heat for Tuesday away from the water up to 27. All right, tonight's weather window, this great shot capturing the lightning in Prince George taken by Chris. Guys? That's amazing. Thanks, Yvonne. Well, we've shown you a lot of spectacular whale sightings over the years, but check this one out. A family on a birthday fishing trip off the coast of Massachusetts captured an amazing sight. Three humpback whales breaching an almost perfect unison. Robert Addy says he spent decades on the water and never seen anything close to this, saying it's even more remarkable when you think of what's involved with a whale breach. It was synchronized. They all turned the same direction, and then the juvenile did the same move. And they have to come from fairly deep at a very high rate of speed get those bodies out of the water like that. I've seen whales everywhere from Cabo to Hawaii to Alaska to Mass. I mean, everywhere. I've never seen an in-sync uh, triple aerial ballet like that. I was laughing momentarily saying every time I take my phone out, they go away. Addy says what made it even more special was the fact it was the first time he and his three daughters had been together in years. What a show. Well, clearly the whales knew that. <laughs> All right, uh, Squire's here now. What's coming up, Squire? Yes. Underneath the water, the whales were totally high-finning it after that. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, in three of the six games this season, the Lions' defense is not allowed a touchdown. You know, don't nobody want to give up any touchdowns or, you know what I'm saying, so it all plays a factor with the whole team. And this week they play Edmonton, a team they shut out earlier this season. 
good to watch them. Also tonight, a master at work, BC photographer Jim Brompton and his secret to capturing the perfect moment on camera. here with sports BC Lions going on a road trip this week yes to a place where you want to go on a road trip because Edmonton never wins at home they haven't since 2019 now if you take away that game the Lions played against the Argos when all those interceptions were thrown by Vernon Adams and I think Toronto got 31 points out of turnovers the Lions defense has been like a force of nature Trying to keep their pass rush away from your quarterback is like going down the English Bay and trying to hold back the tide coming in. And this Saturday, the Lions, as we said, will be in Edmonton, a team whose offense is basically a disaster zone. First and 20, under pressure and throws it away. The Lions' defense has been dominant, but especially so in their only meeting this season versus the Elks. That was the game BC pitched its first shutout since 1977, 22-0. Well, a big shout-out for the shutout. In their five wins this season, the Lions' defense has averaged just 9.8 points against and has allowed just two touchdowns total. As a matter of fact, just allowing a touchdown makes this unit lose sleep. I know I will for sure. I can't speak for everybody else, but me, I know I will for sure. Sleep, very sleepless night. Um, I'm one of those guys that watch the film right after. I need to know exactly what I did or if I did anything wrong, I want to get on top of it. So me, I'm going to have a sleepless night, definitely. Another part of their game that is noticeable is their tackling. They don't miss many of them, and that may be as big a reason as any for their success. We keep everything in front of us. We, we're not a team that wants to give up the big play. And we feel like, okay, if you get a first down one time, you, you got to come out here and do it again. You got to show up. It's, it's three down league, like I said the other day. So it's a lot tougher, you know, once you understand the game. And I feel like our team is starting to understand the game and uh, it's making it a lot harder on the opponents. I really like that it's not a one or two man show. It's, uh, it's all 12 guys functioning together and our whole coaching staff functioning together. So very proud of them. Um, humble and hungry is what we want to be on defense. Now, the fact the Elks have the worst offense in the league, averaging just 15 points scored per game, and just happen to be riding a league record 20-game home losing streak, this one feels like a gimme for the Lions. But of course, they won't say that out loud with cameras rolling. Obviously, everyone's full aware of their streak and everything, but we just want to be us going there, and we have a nameless, faceless opponent. We just want to go in there and be the best offense that we can be. We're not walking down that road. We're going to have to play really well to beat these guys, and that's going to be our focus this week is, is not their record or, the, or that type of stuff and uh, go in there and try to beat a West team on the road. There are two hosts at this year's Women's World Cup of Soccer. New Zealand, which was upset the other day by the Philippines and Australia, which was upset today by Nigeria. And that complicates things a bit now for Canada. Australia got the first goal. Emily Von Eggman, this was in stoppage time in the first half, but before stoppage time was over, Nigeria tied it. Uchenna Canoe makes it 1-1. Now, Nigeria and Canada tied in their game in this group. But Nigeria goes ahead 2-1 here. Look at all the headers. One, two. Three, it's in the net. Osanaccio Holly with the goal there to make it 2-1. And then a third goal by Oceala. And Nigeria would win this game 3-2. Canada plays Australia in its final game. And the Aussies are going to be desperate. 
to win that game. So Canada, this game complicates things, as I said, for the Canadians. It actually makes the division very, very tight, the group, I should say. The Whitecaps will start Isaac Bomer from Okanagan Falls in Sunday's League's Cup game down in L.A. against the Galaxy. A win in the Whitecaps will advance to the knockout round. Now, Bomer started a couple of games for Vancouver last year. The rest of the Whitecaps lineup for this game will be announced tomorrow. Pete Carroll has begun Seahawks training camp with only one of his two first-round picks from this year. Defensive back Devin Witherspoon is not at camp yet because of a contract dispute, which is not good. Rookies missing any part of training camp always hurts their development in their first year. But their other first-rounder, number 11, receiver Jackson Smith-Najigba, is at camp, and he's been looking fast and showing good hands for Geno Smith to throw to. He could do it all, man. He could do it all. He's a great player, and um, he can do it all. Jackson is like, you know, one of those guys who, you know, if you put him in, out there one on one, he's gonna he's gonna win his battles, and and we've been seeing that so far. But we've got, like I said, multiple guys who can do that. Those guys are out there competing, and um, DK's been doing his thing. Tyler's doing his thing, um, and uh, you know, Jackson is, like I said, just a part of that group. He's embraced that, and um, they've embraced him, and I mean, they're all growing together, man. It's special. There you go. Thank you, Squire. Up next, the BC photographer with an enormous portfolio and why he's still searching for that perfect shot. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agency's group. 50 years of trust in your community. Jordan Armstrong is here now with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan? Chris, some local soccer players are being honored at a ceremony this hour for saving a life during a game. We'll have that story. Plus, the Chilliwack man who went on a hunger strike because he was so fed up with the noise from the pickleball court near him says he has ended that hunger strike. Find out how long it lasted and what he thinks he achieved at 11. Chris. All right, sounds good, Jordan. Thank you. Well, with a camera and every smartphone, it's easy for anyone to feel like a photographer, but only a few are truly artists. That's right. Kelowna's Jim Brompton is one of them. He's a master in fine art photography. And as Jay Durant shows us in This is BC, he's still looking for that perfect shot. After capturing tens of thousands of images from all around the world, Jim Brompton is still searching for that perfect shot. I don't think I've taken it yet, to be honest with you. <laughs> the Kelowna resident has been one of BC's most prolific fine art photographers, building on a career that started 50 years ago, just before his work began appearing in national magazines. Some of the companies had up upwards of 3,000 of my images at one time, just in their drawer. Brompton has won many international awards and now markets close to 80,000 images, focusing mainly on landscapes these days. Teaming up with wife Cindy on some globe-trotting adventures to some very remote locations. Some of it can be fairly dangerous because um, we're hiking on cliff edges and 3,000 feet all the way to the bottom. Keeping his art authentic without using Photoshop or altering the images, Brompton ensures his students understand how to properly use light and filters to bring life to their work. I can look at a scene and I know what I'm going to come away with before I even take my camera out of the bank. There's uh, a shot of me walking uh, over some big boulders in Hawaii and this is my office. Ocean scenes have become his specialty. I developed a bit of a technique that, that if you can figure out the speed of the wave and then you would um, set your aperture, you can create a painted effect right in the camera so it looks like it's actually been painted. It can take me sometimes two or three hours to capture one image. 
One trip at a time to add to an incredible portfolio, but there are still so many spots closer to home left to capture. I have never shot Newfoundland uh, or Labrador uh, or PEI. Which means endless adventures, hoping that maybe one day he'll find that perfect shot. I walked into a scene that I've never seen before and that I'll put it together, spend those two or three hours, shoot it right in the camera, come back and just go, wow, that's it. You know, that's my best image. Jay Durant, Global News. Beautiful. Well, if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. You know what will be the perfect shot? When it makes the weather window. That's right. <laughs> he, would, he would be taking them every day. I think yeah. I would be picking his every day, but hopefully he sends in a couple too. No <laughs> doubt. Picture perfect night for a Vancouver Canadiens baseball game. Yeah, it's great out there. Great out there. It's dry. It's clear. Overnight tonight we're down to around 15. So keep in mind, though, tomorrow with the Humidex away from the water, it's going to feel warm at 30. Pleasant over the weekend for both days. We may see a bit more cloud cover for Saturday and Sunday night, but still dry and then hot as we get into early next week. The heat is on once again. Sounds like it. Okay, thanks very much, Yvonne, and thank you for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Night, all. See you at the game.